Angie has made it easier than ever to hire high-quality pros to get all your home service jobs done well. Just bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie will connect you with local pros who match your specific needs. Or book a service instantly at an upfront price. So join the millions of homeowners who use Angie to care for their homes and get your next home service job done well. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. Welcome back to Who's Talking. He's been mayor of New York City for less than a year and there is no shortage of problems in the Big Apple. Public safety and a hit to the economy. And now an influx of migrants adding to an already overcrowded homeless population. So what's the solution? We'll ask him. I worked a lot on this question, Alex. Hey, so, Naya, don't do that. <laughs> are you always like this? Are you saying parents are wrong? Yes. Will you come back? Yes, okay. of course I will. Mayor Eric Adams, thank you so much for coming in. It's uh, a pleasure to sit down with you. Oh, pleasure is mine. Good to speak with you. Well, <laughs> we, let's start with some of the problems. <laughs> New York City has seen a flood of migrants since April, thousands of them, uh, Venezuelans escaping uh, the economic collapse in, in that country. It's so bad that you recently had to declare a state of emergency. What do you think is behind the surge of people coming into the country illegally and ending up here in New York City? It's, it's clearly a, a crisis uh, created by human hands. Uh, the manner in which it was uh, carried out by particularly the governor of Texas, uh, Governor Abbott, uh, his refusal really just to communicate, coordinate uh, in April. Uh, this started, um, we discovered the buses were coming and we immediately uh, jumped into action. And as of to date, we have uh, about 20,500 uh, that have come through our care, about 15,500 are still in our care. But the Democratic mayor of El Paso has, since August, bust 11,000 people who came into the country illegally here to New York City. So it's not just the Republican governor, it's also the Democratic mayor. And that's very interesting, because what happened was the uh, governor of Texas put in place the blueprint, and others started to duplicate and copy that blueprint. And that's what I stated when we first discovered uh, this has become a method to use to really politicize uh, what is happening to asylum seekers and migrants. I spoke to the governor of, of the mayor of El Paso and sent a team down to Texas. What was different here is that the governor, Abbott, did not want to communicate and actually lied, stated he did communicate or we did not reach out, which was untrue. Republican leaders, national Republican leaders, aren't apologizing for this mayor. They say it's high time that northern Democratic mayors like yourself had to deal personally, just as they do with the red state governors and mayors, uh, with, the, with the big problem at the border. Ch check it out. It's really a good idea of Governor Ducey, uh, Governor um, DeSantis, Governor Abbott to uh, try to get the attention of some of the nation's mayors. Sharing the burden. This is a national responsibility. It should be a national burden. I personally thought it was a good idea. 
Do they have a point? Uh, no, they don't. Uh, when you do a real analysis, uh, New York State, we already deal with uh, those asylum seekers and migrants. Uh, we have um, some of the largest numbers. This has always been a state and city uh, that we were open uh, to those who are fleeing persecution and prosecution. There's a reason the Statue of Liberty sits in our harbor, because all of our lineage comes from somewhere. But, but, Mayor, you know, you talk about Republican governors, you talk about Republican senators. What I haven't heard you talk about is Joe Biden. And the fact is, since he took office, the illegal immigration problem in this country has exploded. More than two million arrests at the border in a single year for the first time in our history. Uh, and obviously the people that weren't arrested and got through uh, a lot worse, uh, you know, more than that. So I guess the question is, what responsibility does President Biden bear for this influx of, of migrants, first of all, over the border, and then ending up in places like New York City? Well, and I wanted to be clear, as we were talking about, I didn't indicate what party uh, Governor Abbott belonged to. I thought his actions was wrong. This is a humanitarian crisis that was created by human hands. And I've stated over and over again that this national problem must be uh, settled on a national level. We must have a real decompression strategy. We must make sure the entire country absorbed uh, what is happening with migrant and asylum seekers. I believe the president responded to that and ensured that we're looking at a decompression strategy that's going to start in Mexico. And I think it's the right thing to do the way the governor has, the way the president has started. But, Mayor, if you look at the record, and, you know, first of all, President Biden's significantly scaled back on enforcement of uh, unaccompanied minors coming across the border. He has now ended the remain in Mexico policy in which asylum seekers had to wait for their asylum uh, adjudication in Mexico as opposed to in this country. What responsibility does Joe Biden bear for this flood of illegal immigration? Uh, I, I think it's a bipartisan responsibility. We must sit down at the table and have a clear pathway for those seeking to experience the American dream. And I think we have failed to do that for generations. I'm going to just try one more time. What yeah. grade would you give Joe Biden for his immigration policy to this point in 2022, almost two years <laughs> I'm, a, I'm a terrible grader. Uh, <laughs> I think I, I give our entire um, bipartisanship, uh, we have failed to do it properly for generations. And to state that merely that this president has failed to do so is just inadequate. Uh, we all must come to the table and decide a pathway for those who have legal uh, citizenship in this country and ensure those who are dangerous to this country are not coming into this country because some people will exploit that. When you were elected mayor, you called yourself the, quote, new face of the Democratic Party. I'm sure you remember yes, I saying do. that. I, I remember still, it. it I, was, still, I still feel that way. <laughs> that you're the new face of the Democratic Party. Uh, well, let me ask you a question. What does that mean? Well, first, I need to say, the, just to new, I am the face. I think that in our country, uh, we have allowed the far extremes on the far left and the far right to hijack what everyday uh, Americans and New Yorkers want. And that's what it's about. But if you're the face of the new Democratic Party, what? how does that differ from the old Democratic Party? Well, I like to say the face of the Democratic Party. And I'm, I, I but you did say new Democratic Party. I, 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 the, I, I don't know if the, ter if the term is exactly new or old. I think that for a long time, uh, the Democratic message uh, has been ignored and we've allowed the far left 
to determine what that message is. And that is untrue. Um, even when you look at defund the police, that was not a call by the mainstream, uh, radically practical Democrats. I like to classify myself as Republican took that message, hijacked that message and made it appear as though that was the message of the Democratic Party. Even the president called for proper funding of the police. And in fact, Republicans blocked some of the uh, funding that we wanted. So if anybody is defunding police, it's the Republican Party and not the Democrats. Democrats believe in public safety, believe in education and believe in ensuring that we're looking after working New Yorkers and Americans. We're going to get to crime in a moment. But I just want to talk about your political standing because you did come in and people thought, well, this is kind of the new raging moderate in the in the Democratic Party. You've taken some hits since then. I want to put up some polls in January. Sixty three percent of New Yorkers had a favorable view of you, while 20 percent said unfavorable. But in the most recent poll, 29 percent say you're doing a good or excellent job as mayor, while 64 percent say fair or poor those numbers have just flipped. No, they didn't. Think about it for a moment. Look at that poll. Uh, the po- Tell me when fair is failure. Well, so you're saying fair is okay? I'm, I'm saying fair, as people say, stated that um, when that poll came out, hey, this guy has been in office for a few months with decades of problem. And so the pollster took poor and fair and put it together. If you in New York and the overwhelming number of New Yorkers are saying you are fair, good, or excellent, let me tell you something. If you know New York City, that's a darn good statement to say about you. So fair, you view as an endorsement. I believe fair is saying give the guy a chance. Uh, give a guy a chance that's dealing with decades of homelessness, decades of school failure, decades of crime issue, decades of homelessness. Uh, anyone that has a corporation as large as New York City with a $101 billion budget to think you can turn around and ship moving in the wrong direction in a few months, uh, that doesn't make sense. Honestly, has the job of mayor been tougher than you thought it would be? Oh, not, not at all. Not at all. I went into this job understanding the complexities of it because I spent 22 years on the front line of the challenges of this city as a police officer. Uh, the job is not as tough as uh, it, it is. We are changing the foundation of a dysfunctional city for too many decades. And anyone that thinks that is an easy job to do, they should not run for mayor. I ran for mayor understanding the challenges in front of me, and we're making those impact. Things from dyslexia screening of all of our children, 30 40, 30 to 40% of our prisoners are dyslexic. The mere fact I'm doing dyslexia screening, I'm going after the downstream crises that we're facing. We're ready for this job, and we're making history in doing so. Five first a woman, a deputy mayor's in my administration, a woman that's a police commissioner, a woman that's a fire commissioner, a woman in the Department of Sanitation. We are changing the mindset of running the city this complex. But New Yorkers say the biggest problem, and I'm not in any way minimizing those accomplishments you just pointed out, New Yorkers say the biggest problem is crime. Uh, back in March, here you were promising to make the city safer, especially on the subways. Take a look. The system has turned into a place, come in the subway system and do whatever you want. And so, you know, people are pushing back on me, you know, oh, there goes that mean po-po police officer Eric again. Uh, so what? <laughs> Call me what you want. We're going to be safe. You go, I'm like broccoli. 
You're going to hate me now, but you're going to love me later. <laughs> I love that quote, by the way. <laughs> well, it's your quote. <laughs> I'm, I'm glad you like your own work. But former Democratic governor David Patterson said the other day that things are worse than ever. Check him out. For the first time in my life, even in the late 80s and 90s, when the crime rate was killing 2,000 people uh, a year, I never felt as unsafe as I do now just walking around. And God forbid, uh, sometimes we take the subway home from uh, WABC and uh, you're hearing about an assault on the subway almost every other day. Think think about that for a moment, because that's such a powerful quote that he made. He said, even during the time when we were having 2,000 homicides a year, I policed during those times. We're not having 2,000 homicides a year. The difference from then and now We have an average of less than six crimes a day on the subway system with 3.5 million riders. But if you write your story based on the narrative that you're going to look at the worst of those six crimes and put it on the front pages of your paper every day, people are going to start to feel what David Patterson just, just stated. So I have to deal with those six crimes a day, felony crimes, and the perception of fear. Yes, we decreased gun violence in the city, which I zero in on, decreased homicides. We've made, we've removed off our streets uh, over 5,700 guns, 27-year high in uh, gun arrests. We are attacking the problem exactly the way I stated. And now we have to deal with that real perception. We're going to put our police officers doing patrol again, giving them morale back in our police department. You're saying that the crime problem in this city is more perception than reality? No, it's a combination of both. Uh, New Yorkers must be safe. They're not safe enough for me. Even if it is less than six crimes a day, that is too many for me. And I'm clear on that. But, but Mayor, the New York City crime statistics are that year to date, crime in the subways is up 41% over the same period last year And serious crime, major felonies, are up even more than that. That's not perception. That's reality. Right. And as I stated, if you do an analysis of the six major cities in America, the crime waves is tackling all of our cities. New York City is the safest out of the six major cities in America. I also showed how I have turned around the morale of a police department 27-year high and removing guns off our streets, the overproliferation of guns. So, yes, we have a real crime problem that we are addressing. But part of that is the perception that every day those six crimes are being highlighted but over and over you, again. You keep saying six crimes. I think it's 1,800 crimes in the transit crimes year-to-date versus 1,200 a year ago. That's almost a 50% increase. That's not six a day, and you don't get to 1,800 by now with six a day. Well, when you're looking at crimes, you're, 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 putting, in, you're putting in place felony and misdemeanors. You know, the felonies... But felonies mis- are up even more than misdemeanors. I mean, let me just, let me just if I may yeah, say, yeah, respectfully, yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. earlier this month, there were three stabbings on New York City subways in eight hours. A 38-year-old man stabbed and killed in the Bronx. A 45-year-old man stabbed in the face in Brooklyn. A 59-year-old man stabbed in Harlem. True, you have set up an anti-gun unit. You've cracked down on on homeless people sleeping in subways. But facts are facts. 41% is 41%. 
Yeah, and, you're, and you're saying facts are facts, and that's why it's important for us to lean into those facts of, of how, as we increase the amount of riders back on our subway system, we have to deal with those average of less than six crimes a day. And I want to be clear on that. I don't want to come walk away from anyone believing that we're zeroing in. That's why we have over 750,000 subway inspections, safety inspections, 19,000 people uh, we have ejected from our system because they were disorderly. 75,000 summonses, uh, 1,000 new officers in the system. We identify that we have to ensure our system is safe, and the police officers are doing that every day. While we tackle the mental health crises, many of those crimes that you talked about with the stabbings that you, you, you just communicated came from those with real mental health crises that have been ignored for years in our subway system that we have gone in and addressed them head on. Let's talk a little bit about Eric Adams. You grew up in Queens. You joined, and this is well known, you joined a gang as a young man. You were arrested for criminal trespassing. Uh, and you say that when you went to the police station, the police beat you. Why on earth would all of that lead you to want to become a policeman? <laughs> uh, because I saw the duality of public safety. You know, yes, there was a number of police officers who were abusive, uh, but that was not what I saw every day as well. I, I saw men and women who understood the nobility of running towards danger uh, when others would have of moved in another direction. And I knew that if we had the balance of justice and public safety, that is the prerequisite to our prosperity. I believed it then, and I believe it now, and I'm saying it every day with the men and women who I served it. You served on the force for 22 years. What did you learn about New York City from that experience? Oh, a quote that I say all the time from Archbishop Desmond Tutu, we spent a lifetime pulling people out of the river no one goes upstream and prevent them from falling in in the first place. How do we have a system where we're not identifying dyslexia when we know 30 to 40 percent of the children that are in uh, our prison system here in New York are dyslexic? 80 percent of our prisoners don't have a high school diploma or equivalency diploma. That's a downstream mindset. And we want to take our city upstream. And that's a challenge. But we are uh, really focused on doing so. And I learned that because when I saw a young person arrested, I realized that we already failed because of that arrest. We didn't do what we were supposed to do upstream. The other day, you addressed the latest graduating class of police men and women, both in the police force and the transit police. And I, you said something very interesting. You said that back in the day, that everybody was on the cop side, but now they're not. What do you mean? No, they're not. Uh, during uh, the mid-80s and early 90s, when I policed in the city, all of us identified it was the good guys trying to fight the bad guys. And it was a clear line between that. You tell me, when was the last bill we passed that helped people who were innocent victims of a crime? Every piece of legislation you see going across uh, our lawmaker's desk, uh, those pieces are protecting those who commit crimes. We had, our media was on our side. Our prosecutors were on our side. Our judges were on our side. Our lawmakers were on our side. Now it feels as though police are on uh, alone in this fight 
uh, to stop the overproliferation of guns, the revolving door system of catch, release, repeat. Many of the offenders are repeated offenders. It is time for us to refocus our attention, not only as a New, New Yorkers, but as Americans on the decent, innocent people who are the victims of crimes and not those who are committing crimes. I want to ask you about another aspect of policing, because for a while there was this support for something called broken windows theory. And the idea was if you if you enforce small crimes, if you let people know that the police are out there and the law is the law, that that will trickle down and it will break down crime. And then there was a feeling, well, it unnecessarily incarcerates people who shouldn't be. You seem to have gone back to that. You call it something different, quality of life. But for instance, people who jump the turnstile in subways, you say that's illegal and we're going we're gonna to enforce it. You know, people often state when you look at quality of life issues that you're criminalizing the poor. And that is not what you're doing. And it's an indictment on anyone who believes because someone is poor, they will commit a crime. You can't have a system where people are riding through your streets with paper plates, stolen vehicles. We need to zero in in a precision way on that type of policing, not to be abusive, not to throw out a wide net that I fought against as a police officer, but to be strategic and precision policing to solve those quality of life issues that lead to bigger crimes. Let, let me um, ask you about another issue, le much less serious, but another one you've had to deal with, and that is that you like to go out at night, and you even have picked up the nickname the Nightlife Mayor. And you've had, for folks who don't know around the country, you've had to deal with this, for instance, this summer. If I tell you where I go with, y'all gonna do full-page stories on them. You know, nobody's gonna wanna hang out with me anymore. Y'all write these stories about me that are just, you have to look at them and laugh, you know. I have an active, lovely life. Right. <laughs> right. <laughs> Do New you York have City. an active, lovely life? New York City. Th think about this for a moment. It's a 24-hour city. When I go out, I am patronizing my restaurants, my hotels, my dishwashers, my cooks. Then what I do next, I go into the subway system to see if my, my midnight people are working. I go into my hospitals. I go visit this 24-hour city. This is not a 9-to-5 city. And this is a city that never sleeps, so the mayor should not be taking a nap. He should be out interacting with all the people of this city. And I love that. And it's a multi-billion dollar industry, our nightlife industry. And they tell me all the time, thank you, mayor, for acknowledging us. But you know that you take hits for that. I mean, you had to respond to it there. Um, when you got a migrant emergency, when the city is facing, like the rest of the country, an economic downturn, uh, when you've got a crime issue, any thought of toning it down? Well, think about what you just said. You said we have an economic issue. My, my nightlife is a multi-billion dollar industry. People are afraid to go back out to restaurants. Now they see their mayor going out saying, come back out to our city. That is what the whole theme is. So you say, you, okay, Eric, you're taking hits. What is being a man of New York without taking hits? <laughs> you know, you can't worry. You can't wake up and read the papers in the day and say, oh my God, I'm afraid of being criticized. I have 8.8 .8 million people in this city. I have 35 million opinions. <laughs> that is the city we call New York. Uh, a few months ago mm -hmm. on TV, you said that if you're learning disability, and you've referred to dyslexia a couple of times here, if your learning disability had been diagnosed earlier, we would now be calling you Mr. President instead of Mr. Mayor. <laughs> you seemed to be joking 
Were you, first of all, were you joking? <laughs> yes, I was. Okay. <laughs> Would you like to be president? I'd like to be a mayor of New York City. You know, you can run the country from New York. You know, the way goes New York goes America. Uh, and I enjoy being a mayor, solving problems on the ground, duplicating those solutions, helping my colleagues across the country. As I learn from them, they learn from me. I enjoy being the mayor of this city. This is something I wanted to be for 28 years to resolve those on the ground problems and serving the city. And that's why I'm happy doing this job. Respectfully, that is the most pol pol politician answer <laughs> you've given me so far. Would you like to be president? Uh, no, I like being the mayor of the city of New York, one of the most important cities on the globe. No. I mean, are you ruling it out? You're saying I will never run for higher office? Oh, who would answer that? I would never run for higher office. I don't know what is in the card. I have a job to do right now. And the worst thing could happen is that I have to sit in front of you again one day and you say, Eric, you said this or that. I'm always going to do the job I am, I am in right now. And that's the mayor of this great city, New York. You're bidding on behalf of the city for New York to be the host of the 2024 Democratic National Convention. Should Joe Biden run again for president or should he step aside for a new, younger generation? Yes, he should run again. He has been amazing. He navigated us out of uh, COVID. Uh, it was a total mess when he inherited what he's doing around uh, student loan forgiveness, uh, what he has done around really highlighting uh, the overproliferation of guns in our country. Uh, I think he should uh, run again. And we're hoping the convention will come here to New York City. Uh, we think that the diversity of this city speaks volume of the Democratic Party, and we're hoping that it comes here. And I'm excited about uh, that he's planning on running again. Some people say that you sound on some issues more like a Republican than a Democrat. Do you believe that your party has in some areas gone too far left and become too woke? No, just to the contrary. I believe that the rank and file Democrat, we are radically practical. And the problem is, is that we try to highlight those who are on the extreme of both parties. Uh, the far extreme, I believe they have hijacked this country. Uh, they want us to believe that we want an overproliferation of guns in one far right and the far left position that whomever is caught with a gun should not be arrested. So the violence we're seeing in our country and the overproliferation of guns, the co-conspirators are the far left and the far right. The everyday Americans in the middle, uh, we are being impacted uh, by that. And so I think it's an unfair uh, comment that people believe that the rank and file overwhelming Democrats believe that we need to ensure that we create an environment that we can raise healthy children and families. But to the degree that the far left of this Democratic Party captures the headlines and people talk about uh, defunding the police or, or ending ICE or other things, if Democrats take a drubbing in the midterm elections, is, does your party need a course correction? Where we have the right course, right correction, uh, I think that it is truly unfortunate that those uh, radically practical Democrats like me, uh, their voices are not allowed to be heard. It doesn't, they do, their voices do not pierce through the volume of politics right now, and we rather hear from those on the extremes. 
I say when I move around New York City in America, uh, they are more in line uh, with the philosophies and beliefs of how do we have a country that is going to take care of everyday working people and ensure that we are protecting New Yorkers. Mayor yeah. Adams, yes. thank you. It's been thank a pleasure. You. Please come back, sir. I look forward to it. <laughs> Eric Adams may have a lot on his professional plate, but it's the plate in his kitchen he sometimes talks about, advocating for a plant-based diet he says is responsible for reversing his type 2 diabetes six years ago. Thanks for watching. Catch us every Sunday night on CNN and keep streaming anytime you want right here on HBO Max to find out who's talking next. Now streaming exclusively on Max. A new CNN flash talk about the album that has Nashville talking. Call Me Country. Beyonce and Nashville's Renaissance. Watch it at max.com slash callmecountry. Max subscription required.